Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. O oh Lord, open to me the gates of repentance, O giver of life, for my spirit rises early to pray towards thy holy temple. Bearing the temple of my body, all defiled, but on thy compassion, purify me by the loving kindness of your mercy. Amen. Good evening. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for uh, coming out and worshiping with us this evening. We have a really profound selection of, of scripture readings uh, this evening. Three very, very profound readings when I was preparing for this, I was struck by well, all of them. We'll talk, all of, we'll talk a little bit about it, each one this evening. But the psalm reading says a couple of things. It says, there's four things that it says to do. The first thing it says for us to do is to sing. And then it says to glory. And then it says to seek. And then it says to remember. And it says to sing praise to God, to tell of his works. So singing to God, lifting up our voices in melody to him, telling him of the things that he has done. And then it says glory, or that could be also the word rejoice in his name, rejoice in him, in his goodness, who he is and what he has done. Then it says seek. It says seek God and his strength. And then it says remember. Remember his wonderful works, all of the things that he has done. Why is the psalmist saying this? Well, when you read on, it goes into the promises that God made with Abraham and the patriarchs Isaac and Jacob. And we heard a little bit of this on Sunday when the, the reading said from Genesis 17, walk before me and be blameless and I will do this. We have this singing, this seeking, this rejoicing, this remembering and the psalmist lists those things that they're supposed to remember. He says, you let us up out of Egypt with gold and silver. So they didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. They left Egypt with wealth that God gave them to use then to what they used to build the Ark of the Covenant and then the worship implements and the tabernacle. Then the psalm says that there was the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. And so we know from the Exodus account that the pillar of fire goes before them by night, heat in the cold desert in the evening. And then you have the pillar of smoke in the daytime, air conditioning in the hot desert sun. And then it says that God struck, or that God from the rock brought out water for them when they were thirsty. And when they were hungry, God sent them the quail. Why did God do all of this? And the psalm tells us, for he remembered his promise to Abraham. And so in response to God remembering his promises to Abraham, carried out through the exodus of his people out of Egypt, they are to sing, glory, seek, and remember what God has done in the past so they can trust that God's future promises will come to pass, that God will honor what he has said, that God will perform his word. Keep these promises in mind. Sing them. Pray them. Tell your kids about them, your family, your friends. Then we move into the Jeremiah reading. 
And things, I don't know if you noticed in the Jeremiah reading, they don't sound so happy. You know, you have the psalm, sing, remember. And then in the Jeremiah reading, you get stuff like, no medicine for you. No healing for you. Your guilt is great. Your sins, it says, are incurable. Your flagrant sins done in the open. God says, there is nothing that will heal you. There is no way for you to recover. Your guilt is undischargeable. Why is this happening, brothers and sisters, as we read the Jeremiah story? Well, we remember that the covenant and that the works of God the psalmist has sung about, they've been relegated to relics of the past. Relics of the past. They don't need God or to serve him anymore. They found a hotter, sexier, edgier, younger God to serve. It sounds almost like a cliche, but scripture uses the terminology of adultery to describe the faithlessness of God's people. And that's very harsh language, particularly in portions of Ezekiel. If you want to, go and read it on your own and come back to me. We'll have a fun conversation about some of the language that Ezekiel uses when he talks about this. But because they've, they've become faithless, they've cut themselves off from God. They cut themselves off from God. They have cut themselves off from the covenant. They've cut themselves off from the very thing that is supposed to keep them in relationship with God, that's supposed to keep them in communion and in union with God, and they've turned away from it. How does God respond in this reading? He says you're, you're incurable, you're unhealable, you're unrestorable. How does God respond? Thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes, the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling. The city shall be rebuilt upon its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving, and the voices of those who make merry. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. The ruler shall come forth from their midst. I will make him draw near. He shall approach me, for who would dare of himself to approach me, says the Lord. And then he says this in verse 22, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. How does God respond to the faithlessness of the people that he loved, the faithlessness of the people that he saved? How does he respond to them? He responds with grace. He responds with love and with compassion. Those incurable, flagrant sins are forgiven. That which is unhealable, that is which is unrestorable, God says, I will heal and I will restore those things that are unhealable and unrestorable. For Judah and Israel, it's not in the reading this evening, but two verses ahead, or a few verses ahead, Jeremiah says that this is for Judah and Israel. And so 
If you don't know about this, the kingdom of Israel was split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was Judah that kept, generally kind of better than Israel did, kept the faith in Yahweh alive, right? The line of David. Preserved, right? Some, well, some of them anyway. And then you have the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And we see this throughout the story of the Old Testament, but something happens, right? Judah survives, but the northern kingdom gets completely wiped, wiped out. They're gone, destroyed, as if they never existed. Wiped out completely. No trace of them. The Assyrians took them all the way into captivity, killed them all, and integrated them into their society. Israel is gone. God says he is going to restore them too. The cities of their habitation of Judah and Israel will be restored. The true worship of God will be reestablished. The one who will rule will be appointed by God himself. And God says, you shall be my people and I your God. Brothers and sisters, these, these promises that God made to these ancient people are also promises that we receive by faith. Abraham believed God, we read on Sunday, and it was considered to him to be righteousness. The incurable wound of sin has been healed by Christ. The unhealable curse of death has been healed and its power has been broken. And the prince who drew near is Christ himself, the one who effects our healing through his passion. Then in John 12, 36, Jesus says something and then he does something. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons and daughters of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. That's scary to me. When I read that verse today, that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. It says, after Jesus said these things, while you have me, believe in me, he goes and he hides. He hides. He hides himself. And if you remember last year, we, I did a sermon on, on that whole thing, the God who, who hides. But this is one of the scariest verses, I think, brothers and sisters, in the Bible, that the light of Christ would be hidden. And in John 12, 37, it says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus hid himself because of their unbelief. He says, while the light is here, believe that they do not believe, and so he hides. This is frightening that we, through unbelief, can lose sight of the light of Christ. Not only that we can lose sight, but that light can be removed from before our eyes. So I'm going to do something that's completely unexpected and not in your books because that's how I roll. So Austin, what I'd like you to do is go stand back there for a sec by the switches. And Tyler, I want you to come up here for a second, okay? Do me a favor, grab, uh, grab that other one and put all, all these lights for a second. We'll relight them, don't worry.
I'm gonna light that. Keep it lit and just stand there for a sec, okay? So what I'd like everybody to do, just for a second, just stand up. And Tyler, what I'd like you to do is come stand over here. Come right here. And what I'd like you to do is, you can lift it up, lift the light up. Both, there you go. You can put both hands on there and lift it up high. There you go. Very nice. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to have Austin turn off all the lights. And when Tyler here stands in front of you with a light in your direction, what I want all of you to do is turn and face that way. Okay? And then Tyler's going to come over there with a light and hold it in front of you. And when he does that, I want you to turn and face that way. And I want you to go back there and face him with a light. And when he does that, I want you to turn that way. And I want you to do the same thing. You get the idea, right? Then go stand over there. And then when he has the light in front of you, I want you to turn this way, OK? We good? All right. Go ahead, Austin, and turn off all of the lights. You can flick the lights back on. You can go back to your seat. You guys can sit. Now think of the beautiful promises that we heard in Jeremiah. The restoration, the healing, the incurable, the, the incurable being cured, the unhealable being healed. Think about that. Think about what that psalm listed about what God has done for the children of Israel. Right? We don't choose these readings because we just want to throw a bunch of scripture at you and see what sticks. This all works together. Everything that they were looking for, they missed. Everything that Christ was sent to show them, they missed. Just like in our little object lesson. They turned themselves away from the light of Christ. They turned themselves away. They loved the darkness, Scripture tells us, rather than the light. And Jesus says in John, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of the light. And then because of their unbelief, he departed and he hid himself from them. Brothers and sisters, there will come a day when the light of Christ for many people will no longer be in front of their eyes. We don't like to talk about that because that's the judgment, right? But it's coming. We know it's coming. And it's something that, that should sober us. Is that while we have the light, repent and believe in the good news. Because ultimately one day, the light will be hidden. The light will be revealed again in glory. But the light will be hidden. There's a poem that I'm completely abusing now. <laughs> I'm completely, it's not the context of the poem at all, but it was stuck in my mind when I was thinking about it this evening, and especially Jesus' words about light. It's by a poet named Dylan Thomas, and one of the lines, you've probably heard this in, in, the, in the poem, is rage against the dying of the light. And it's been in popular media all over the place lately. It, it's not that old of a poem. I think written in the 50s, but... Thomas wrote it about something else. <laughs> I think about an, an old person like fighting against, you know, the, you know his, coming, his coming death. But this idea of raging against the dying of the light, of raging against the hiddenness of the light of Christ, using the time that we have wisely, learning to walk the way we should walk while we have the illumination to see the path. 
Use the time. Don't love the darkness. Love the light. Because if you have the light, if you believe in the light of Christ, it says that you will become sons and daughters of light. In the Christian sense, this raging against the hiddenness of the light, maybe, this raging against the dying of the light, is doing what the psalmist tells us, to sing. To sing of what God has done. To glory, to rejoice in what God has done. To seek him, because it says we will be strengthened by him. And then to remember what he's done for us. He will strengthen us, and especially during Lent, as we turn our hearts to to repentance and we walk with Christ to his suffering and to his resurrection, that's when we should double and triple down and quadruple down on these things, brothers and sisters. The songs that we sing, the rejoicing that we do, the seeking that we do, and the remembrance that we do is everything that Christ has done to redeem us, to forgive us, to save us, to sanctify us, to take us from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. And what does this do for our souls? The singing, the glorying, the seeking, and the remembering. It keeps us mindful of the saving acts of God. And it keeps us mindful of our human sinfulness. And it keeps us mindful of our need of the light of Christ. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online at zionstoneucc.com If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to have you visit our church.